Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's episode is Jamal Wilbert. Jamal, we talked to you before you went to Marlins Park. Now you've been to the Trop for that opening home series against the Yankees. And how good did it feel? And I, we talked about how good it was going to feel to be at a ballpark, but how good did it feel to be back at the Trop? It was one of those things that you just didn't realize that you missed again. Just walking into the Trop, seeing the sights, seeing the sounds, seeing Raymond, everyone's favorite sea dog. <laughs> And then, you know, watching baseball and, and watching another another Rays win, it was it was really good. And then trying trying some of the new food, got the uh, my wife wanted the strawberry shortcake float, really good. Calories probably not within my diet plan, but <laughs> you know all the things that we miss. And I think we take baseball for granted so much, and the ability to attend a game that having it not available for a year and getting a chance to return it, it felt better than I anticipated. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to make it out there. Uh, maybe once I get fully vaccinated, get to a game or two throughout the summer. I know I'm living quite a few hours away, but how sweet did it feel seeing the banner go up against the Yankees? Oh, man, it felt incredible. You, and it's it's two banners, right? Because you've got the AL East and, you know, the, the American League Championship. And so having that up with the Yankees in town, there's nothing you always like showing off in front of in front of the rival, right? It's 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 the you know, people won't admit it, but you, you move on and you beat them and then they show up and have to join the celebration. That has to feel really good. Yeah, I was there back in, in 2009. I think we talked about this on the last podcast for the home opener against the Yankees. And it, it, it was such a great, I was actually sitting for that game. I don't know if they still do this. They definitely don't during COVID, uh, but where they would uh, not sell tickets to those seats behind the visitors bullpen, they would give them out to raise fans to sit there. And so that game, I was sitting right behind Mariano Rivera. Uh, I don't remember who else was in that bullpen. I know Phil Coke was in that Yankees bullpen, uh, but obviously uh, Rivera was there and seeing the banner go up and then the Rays win pretty handily in that game. 15 to five was the score was just really awesome to see. And I had similar feelings, even though I was much younger than I had similar feelings watching that game on TV. Wish I could have been there, but I'm glad you were in the Rays one, two out of three. We'll talk a little bit more about that series and some of the goings on. But first, that Sunday, we saw the major league debut of Brent Honeywell. And I th- I don't know. The Rays could go on to win 110 games this year. They could have f- 10 walk-offs throughout the season. There might not be a regular season moment this year that will make me smile and be more proud to be a Rays fan than watching Brent Honeywell pitch in a competitive baseball game for the first time since 2017 uh, really was just a fun sight. And he threw two perfect innings. How cool was that? It's amazing. These are types of things. We, we talk about things that can become movie scripts, but it's been so long since he was in a game that mattered. And, and to not just show up, but to really be dumb, like I said, two perfect innings and just it makes it has to be for his confidence, number one a reminder that he still has and he deserves to be here. Cause I can imagine the imposter syndrome and the concerns have to be real anytime you're making your, your debut to begin with. But for Rays fans, if this is what all the expectations were years ago and to see it come to fruition, I think it's really exciting. There's no, not another word that I could think of to put there, but you know, be exciting as he continues to make his way back, you know, and see him up here on a full-time basis. Be really excited to see what he can do. Jamal, I'm going to read off the lineup 
the Rays major league lineup the last time Brent Honeywell pitched in a game back in September 2017. Kevin Kiermaier leading off, playing center field. Peter Gorgeous Borges playing right field. Evan Longoria as the designated hitter. He, he dealt with some injuries that year, so he was the DH. Lucas Duda at first base. Adani Echeverria at shortstop. Trevor Plouffe at third. Brad Miller at second. Jesus Sucre at catcher. And Cesar Puello in left field. Jake Odorizzi was on the mound. And Kiermaier, the only remaining Ray from that starting lineup. You look at the Bulls lineup from that day. Johnny Field, Keen Wong, Willie Adamas. Jake Bowers, Patrick Leonard, Shane Peterson, Daniel Robertson, Justin Williams, and Justin O'Connor. Ryan Yarbrough started that game for the Bulls in that playoffs uh, run. Brett Honeywell was got the win out of the bullpen. Xavier Cedeno was pitching for Durham. Diego Castillo got the save. Um, just a, a really shocking list of names when you think about it, but it really does put into perspective the road that Brett Honeywell had to take and to come out against the Yankees at the Trop, I know his parents got to be there, which is really cool. And something I'm really excited about because last year it was, it was kind of heartbreaking seeing a lot of major league debuts without that player's parents or family or friends in the stands. We get some of that back this year. Uh, and, and Brent Honeywell goes two innings, does his job, and, and gets optioned back down to the alternate training site, which was to be expected. They have him only built up for a couple of innings right now. That was the plan. That was the goal. I don't know what role they really plan for Brent Honeywell for the rest of this season and beyond. Um, luckily, he had that last option this year, so he can spend some time at the alternate trading site. And I'm assuming in AAA Durham once their season gets underway. But Jamal, like, would you like to see Brent Honeywell get built into a traditional starter's role? You know, whatever is effective. I'm, I'm, you know, not as interested in the the traditional roles. I'm fine with what the Rays do to win, with whether it's an opener or the 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 back to back or the the electric opener, as I like to call it. I think <laughs> that all those are options, you know, this year just to to get him the speed. But yeah, if if he can, you know, build the strength back and have the production to be more of a traditional starter guy that can get you, you know, some some good innings and. That would be incredible when we think about what this team has in depth that's young and developing. Just imagine adding, you know, Honeywell, which we've just not even really considered as coming back just because of all the you know, unfortunate you know, items he's had to deal with. Yeah, if he can develop into that traditional starter and, and give, give guy you can put on the mound every, every five starts and get out there and get you some wins, it'll be incredible we talk about like the list of pitchers, like that young group. So you've got the, the guys going into the season that you knew were going to be the major league starters. Or we're going to pitch a major league bulk of the innings at the beginning of the year, Tyler glass. Now Yarbrough, Chris Archer, Michael Walker, maybe rich Hill. Then you move to that young group, a group that Brett Honeywell, when the Rays didn't have the type, same type of farm system they do now, he was at the top of that list. It was like him and Blake Snell coming up through the system. Blake Snell kind of broke out before Brent, um, now you go through that list and you talk about Luis Patino, Shane McClanahan, Josh Fleming, Brendan McKay, when he gets healthy, and then you get to Brent Honeywell again, I think it's just another testament to how deep the Rays are. A lot of question marks still about Honeywell in his major league career, but you have to like what you saw out of him on that, on that Sunday against the Yankees and I, in a series that the Rays won, they took two out of three. They lost on Sunday, but after getting swept at Fenway park, I don't think anybody was in panic. Well, some people were in panic mode. Uh, I wasn't, but I was a little worried about 
the team going into that series, playing that that Yankees team, and they took two out of three. That was really encouraging. And again, it just continues. You know, last year the Rays won eight out of ten from the Yankees in the regular season, three out of five in the postseason. Again, it feels good to winning. It feels good to get back to winning series against the Yankees. And outside of that, though, there was again. Uh, as is to be expected between these two teams over the last three, four years almost now, some extracurriculars. Uh, jo- Joey Wendell gets hit by a pitch by Justin Wilson in game uh, two of that series. Then Austin Meadows gets a fastball 93 up and in that hits him only at the top of the back because of the way he scrunched up. It probably would have hit him in the neck or the head had he not kind of moved. Um Jamal, I don't know. I don't I don't really think we need to or should debate intent here. But this has got to stop. Yeah, and you have to wonder just what it takes for it to stop. And it's it's carried on for, for so long, at least the perception of it has, you know, going back a few years back in in CC Sabathia and, and all of those antics, and it's there's no reason that with a lineup as talented on paper and on the field that the Yankees have and at the major league level to go through these, these, these levels. And again, can't, I'm not, you know, can't legislate the, the intent that someone has and whether this is intentional or not, but it's, it's hard to believe that this is all just coincidence when yeah. it happens so often, when it's happening to the same batters. And it's not like, uh who it's 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 not like it's just someone that's a a hit by pitch magnet like Brandon Guy or anything like that right <laughs> where they're just getting hit no matter who's who's on the mound right these are the same people in in the same spots and it just it's certainly if you ask the reasonable person on the side that was unaffiliated with the two teams they would probably ask the question of why are these guys hit again i go back to last year I'm not one, I, I think, but I'm not 100% certain that Chapman intentionally threw at Mike Brasso's head. All evidence points to that being the fact. It looked pretty intentional. The fact that the Yankees were chirping Brasso after he started to walk back to the dugout. There's a lot of evidence that says there was some, some foul play going on there. But even without intent, you ha- like it doesn't make it any better, right? You, you look at sports. You could use real life examples in football. Most of the time when a player at college or the NFL gets called for targeting, they're not trying to use their head. It's just kind of what happens. And they're still penalized in college. They're, they're still ejected. In baseball, there, I think, needs to be something similar. I don't know if it's automatic ejection for a hit-by-pitch in the head. Maybe that's the way to curtail it. But it's still dangerous. And I'm go. I, I talk, talking specifically about Jordan Montgomery hitting Austin Meadows. I don't know if that one was intentional. Again, a lot of evidence says that it might have been, but one just might have gotten away from it. Uh, and it was up and near the head, and that's and that's dangerous, and it's something that needs to stop, and MLB needs to put a stop to it because it might be something that curtails retaliation. I am very worried about going into this series this weekend against the Yankees and what the Rays pitchers might do and what they feel they might have to do uh, because unless Major League Baseball steps in, unless that umpiring crew steps in at the beginning of, ge- beginning of the game, it wouldn't shock me if both sides are warned at the home plate meeting game one. This could get really, really ugly really fast. 
and I don't want to see that this early in the season. But maybe that's what has to happen. And and I'm not condoning it and I'm not supporting it. You know, especially, you know, I've, I've shared on, on Twitter and in other conversations, you know, I'm not a fan of American League pitchers hitting batters when you never have to step <laughs> in the plate yourself. Because to me, that's the ultimate cowardice, right? You hit someone intentionally, you should have to go stand there in the box and wonder if 95 is coming your way. But the question that I have, though, is does Major League Baseball at, at a level, which I think the answer already is no, do they care when race players get hit? You know, do they, if it's Mike Brasso, if it's Austin Meadows, if it's, you know, these other guys, but if it's, if it's judge that's in the box, if it's Stanton <laughs> yeah. that's in the box and, and a ball's coming that way, we will probably, the reaction will probably be different. I would, I would have to assume, unless there's just no care for, for the player safety overall, but something has to happen to your point in other leagues, even when something's unintentional, there's a consequence because we do, you, you don't want it to be intentional. So until there start being some, some meaningful fines, some meaningful suspensions, and there's some consequences to a ball that gets away, which maybe you need to work your command. And if you can't pitch inside, don't pitch inside. That's the only way this is going to stop. So it's either going to have to be Major League Baseball stepping up or the, the right player, for lack of a better word, that's on the other side of that ball for something that happened. Because think about the, the rules for uh, slamming into a catcher don't change until Buster Posey gets hurt. Right, yeah. Every, every, other, every other catcher just has to take it on the chin, and that's part of the game. Buster Posey gets knocked out. Wait, 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 wait. We, we can't have this anymore. This is, this is not good for the game. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see this weekend, but that may be what it takes. It's because he's a Florida State guy, Jamal. You know that. Got to protect the Seminoles in the big leagues. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, Mafia Tanaka who when he hit Joey Wendell last year, that was one of the most obvious intentional hit, hits by pitch ever, right? Like that I had ever seen. Very obvious. And he, if there is a right way to do it, he did it the right way. It was like 92 in the back. Okay, fine. Uh, didn't get suspended for it. It, it was, I don't even know if it was discussed. He's out of Major League Baseball now. Aroldis Chapman, Major League Baseball, again, I'm not 100% sure it was. I think it was. I'm not certain. Throws over Mike Brasso's head at 101 miles an hour. Was a repeat offender. He had been determined to have done that with intent before. Major League Baseball ruled that. Their ruling was this was intentional. Suspended him for three games. That was reduced to two. And he didn't have to serve it until the beginning of the 2021 season. For a relief pitcher, that's not a punishment. Like that does nothing to... And, and again, so say the Rays the next night had thrown at someone who said, you, I mean, it's got to be more than two games. You, you, would, you would assume that it would be um, you saw play, you know, Joe Kelly got suspended for doing for quote unquote, inciting a bench clearing for making a face at Carlos Correa last year. Like the, the, there's just the, the lack of consistency for major league baseball, I think is dangerous. Uh, because again, if there is retaliation this weekend, some of that, some of that blame goes on major league baseball for not handling this. If you don't want the players policing themselves, then you have to do the policing. This is your league. And, and hopefully, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. I, I hope there. There's nothing ugly. I hope we just go up there and sweep them at Yankee Stadium. But at some point, the Rays can't let themselves be pushed around anymore. And if Major League Baseball is not going to step in, somebody has to. And I think I think Kevin Cash uh, made that pretty clear. Even though I'm pretty sure some New York and New Jersey media are taking his words out of context um, from his press conference on Sunday. 
Let's talk about Tyler Glass now and what he did on Monday night against the Texas Rangers. Uh, we are recording right now during game three of that series. The Rangers are leading one nothing. Um, so you'll have known the result if you're listening to this when this releases. Uh, but Tyler Glass now, I think that was his best performance in a Rays uniform. What about you? It was phenomenal. I mean, it was... You know, I was I was doing the game recap for for the Rays Bay that that during that game and I'm watching this and I'm like first I'm wondering is is am I about to maybe witness a no hitter like it was <laughs> yeah. starting off just incredible just the performance his command just everything that he was was throwing was was landing right where he wanted it I mean he was. Eh, I forget the, the number of batters he retired retired in a row, but I think it was the first seven straight, if I remember it all uh, correctly. But it was it was incredible. I mean, he was you know just good with every pitch. He was getting the location, you know, his curveball, the sliders, fastball, everything. At the time of recording, Tyler Glass now leads all pitchers in Major League Baseball in um, F WAR. He's got a .46 ERA. I think Joe Musgrove is the only other guy. He's only had two starts since the time of recording, and I think Wade Miley hasn't given up anything either. Uh, but leads all of baseball in F war for or pitchers for in F war with one point three wins above replacement. That's according to Fangraphs. He's thrown nineteen and two thirds innings pitched through three starts. I thought that number was going to be a lot closer to fifteen. I thought this year they were going to play it a lot more safe with Tyler Glassman. I think they still will, but to see him get all the way deep into the eighth inning. And get pulled there so late. I know he wanted to keep going, but his pitch count was getting up, his velocity was dropping, and it was a one-run game. Uh, thank God, to, you know, thanks to Willie Adamas, right, that it was a one-run game for hitting that home run. Uh, Shane Bieber, I think, had to pitch the ninth when it was tied zero-zero uh, last night. Um, but that was. It, it reminded me of a couple of Blake Snell starts. Blake Snell had to start early 2019, uh, coming off of his Cy Young award against the Colorado Rockies where he struck out 13, didn't give him a run, pitched seven or eight. Uh, the type of dominance that you look at a guy and you think that is a guy that could win a Cy Young award. And I'm not going to say that he's the early favorite three starts in, but he's the early favorite three starts in. It's him and Garrett Cole, and they're going to face each other this weekend in Yankee Stadium. Well, that was my bold prediction that we did on the site was Tyler <laughs> right, Glass right. now. AL Cy Young winner. And, you know, one of the things that's the most fascinating to me about Glass now, just in stats, is going back to the start of last season, he's not induced a single ground into a double play. <laughs> and, and so, you know, 37 chances at it, you know, 37 opportunities, not a single one. So all of the, the dominance, the strikes, and everything that he's getting without even drawing a single double play. I think it goes all the way back to 2019. I think it was it actually might have been against the Yankees in like September 2019, the last time that there was, that he had a double play. But it's just incredible. And 14 strikeouts, the second second most in in race history. And but the first time the Rays have had 14 strikeouts and won the game, because the last time was yeah. James Fields 15 in a loss to Baltimore. I've got a fun story about that game for a different day. But it was. It was incredible. And again, one run, that's all it takes. Willie Adamas, right power at the right time. And it's all you need. The the only other player I want to talk about um, on this team, we've talked about a lot of great things, but let's talk about Yoshi Tutsuko. Had a rough 2020, and I think 
most people gave him a pass. You know, it was his first season in the big leagues, technically his rookie year coming over from Japan. And it was during a global pandemic. He went through a lot of stuff this year. I think the Rays kind of renewed their confidence in him. He was going to be the leadoff hitter against right-handed pitchers. And that's a role that he kept until, you know, a couple nights ago. Now he's getting slid down the order and he's really struggling at the plate. Do you think he can get out of this funk or do you think Yoshi is just not going to work out here with the Rays? Yeah, I think, you know, consistent in, in our, in our conversations on this podcast, I just, I don't see a future for Yoshi in, in the Rays uniform. He's, you know, batting 177 against right-handed pitchers. Uh, so going back to the start of last season, slugging 152 on pitches that are 95 miles an hour or greater going back to last season. And if he can't hit, you know, pitches that are that are up there in velocity and he can't hit against right-handed pitchers, then he doesn't really have a role on this team. And so I think that maybe, maybe it's just, you know, getting through a slump that's uh, really extended. Uh, but we thought that with a more traditional full spring training and more time with the team, more time to adjust to Major League Baseball, we'd see some differences, but we're, we're just seeing the same results. Yeah, and it's still early. I don't know what the Rays' plans are. We also don't really know what they can do. So he was a free agent signing. So technically, he has three options left uh, because, you know, last year was his first year in the big leagues. But there might be something written in his contract because it was a free agent contract that says, you know, he could have the option to, to... opt out of his contract or can refuse an option to the, to the minor leagues for the alternate training site. We don't really know those details, uh, but once Kevin Kiermaier comes back off the IL, which could be in a week or less than I haven't counted the days, it's probably supposed to be no more than a 10 day stay. That might be the earliest that the Rays decide they have to make a move with Yoshi. And if he doesn't have any options, he definitely has no trade value. Uh, his salary this year is $7 million don't think anybody is wanting to pick that up. If the Rays, even if even if the Rays ate some or most of that, I don't really know the, what the market for Yoshi. There is no market for Yoshi. You'd be giving him away at best. They could also just release him. We saw the same thing happen with with Pat Burrell. Um, uh, they could release him. You know, he could he could go back to Japan and try to you know rekindle his career there or figure out what his next steps are. Maybe another team in America takes takes a flyer on him. Uh, but it's a guy that I had a lot of promise for. I, I, I thought had a lot of promise coming into this year. You looked at the walk rate last year. Uh, that's dropped significantly. He's only played in, you know, the science is like 11th game of the season. So uh, still some time for Yoshi, but the clock is definitely ticking. Because at some point, you know, they weren't going to move on from him in the offseason because they owed him money. Now it's kind of a sunk cost. You kind of really need to uh, prioritize his roster spot more than the dollars that, that you owe him. Once Kevin Kiermaier comes back, once G-Man Choi comes back, a decision is going to be, have to be made. And I think right now, if there's someone on this roster that's on the chopping block, it's Yoshi Tsutsugo. So I, I don't know. I just hope he can figure it out. Um, it, it would be one of the more disappointing free agent signings in Ray's history if he can't uh, get it going at the plate. Yeah, best case scenario might be he goes on a hot streak to raise some value and get someone else at least interested in sending something back in exchange. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. At that point, maybe the Rays just keep him. We'll see. Who knows? But it's it's been a disappointing start, and he's been moved out of the leadoff spot. Uh, Jamal, so 
we're going to raise our voices again, or I'm going to let you kind of raise your voice because tomorrow or the, the day either this releases or the day after this releases is Jackie Robinson day. Uh, and, and I just kind of wanted to ask you um, what Jackie Robinson and what Jackie Robinson day means to you. Yeah, no, and I think, you know, April 15th this year, every year since 2004, Major League Baseball's celebrated the the anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. And it means the meaning has changed to me just as I've gotten older. And I think just as we we look at the world um, and other events a, a lot over time, I think at first you learned about, well, Jackie Robinson was the first you know, African-American baseball player in Major League Baseball, he broke the color barrier. And that's just kind of what we talk about. And we talk about how great a person he was and all these good things. And then as, as again, I've gotten older and, and my life's progressed, I start becoming more fascinated and interested in what that really means to be first, what it really means to, to break the color barrier. And you start looking at, you know, how he was treated and the journey. And he still had to go forth and play and, and, you know, not retaliate or, or respond to the, the hate and the vitriol that's sent his way when he's just trying to earn the same living that his teammates are trying to earn. And so it's become, you know, really interesting. And I, I'm glad that we honor the legacy and honor the memory. And, and you know, it would be nice if we told the full story a little bit more. I think the movie 42 helped shape a lot of that. Um, you know, rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. Bozeman. But yeah, I think it just means an incredible lot to me. I think about the honor and privilege I have to write about baseball and talk about baseball and do these things with like, like we're doing right now. And that's not possible without Jackie Robinson and all those sacrifices. So it's personal in that way. And, and just really uh, just humbling and, and, and appreciate everything that, that he did and stood for. Yeah. You mentioned 42. And I think as a kid, when I was growing up, I kind of saw Jackie Robinson day as just, you know, a day to celebrate Jackie Robinson. And he was always celebrated for breaking the color barrier, but it wasn't really until that movie, which came out when I was 12 years old, 13 years old, maybe, uh, that I really started to learn more about uh, Jackie Robinson's story and, and, and what he went through uh, during his major league career. And I, I do agree there, do, there does, does need to be, a, uh, and I think there is, uh, a concerted effort to to tell the story not only of Jackie Robinson but of of countless other black players in baseball that that have experienced uh, similar things or did experience similar things, um, and and I think uh, it, it, one of the things in in terms of taking this day of celebration and in turning it into something is the, the the players' alliance and the donations they're making this year on on, on Jackie Robinson Day. Could you talk a little bit more about that and, and what that means? Yes. Yeah, so there's a, about a hundred major league players have decided to donate their salary from Jackie Robinson day to the players Alliance. And I think that's, you know, that's incredible. And, and players of, of all races and backgrounds, right. You know, including David Price, Jason Hayward, Jackie Bradley Jr. And again, more than a hundred major league baseball players, but there's so much of this where players are, you know, step, Stepping forward and, and contributing and trying to uh, make the make make society better. And for those not familiar with the Player Alliance, it's the nonprofit organization that was founded by active and former MLB players, and really looking to improve representation uh, of Black Americans in baseball and and really just honoring 
um, the legacy again of Jackie Robinson and others. And I think it's, 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 an, it's an awesome tribute and it's awesome for the players to, to step forward and, and include those pieces as well. Last year in 2020, they raised more than a million dollars on Jackie Robinson Day and invested that money and the proceeds into Black community initiatives and, and, and again, even resources to help over 20,000 families that were um, dealing with the uh, uh, help all those families even during the pandemic uh, with everything that was happening. So I think it's, it's really awesome to see those things from the players. Um, these these things are are published and shared, but they don't wind up being what we talk about in 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 the large in the large limelight. We'll talk more about a uh, an up and in fastball than than we will these these good efforts that the players are doing overall. But it's it's just uh you know good to see. Yeah, definitely really great to see. And Jamal, the last thing kind of wanted to talk to you about was the discussion you had with with a new Rays front office member. Denard Span, and I know there's going to be something going up on the site soon. Um, yeah. But for our listeners, could you talk a little bit about you know the the discussion, the conversation that you and, and Denard had? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's 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 interesting, it's, and so grateful and appreciative for for Denard's time. For me, as I was gearing up towards Jackie Robinson Day, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to write something along that perspective, and. The, you know, earlier this year in February it was announced that Denard Span was joining the Rays front office as a special assistant. And, and I thought maybe that that was a good opportunity to talk through, you know, what's his perspective? Because uh, as I thought through it, Denard Span and I, we're, this, we're the same age. And, and you, you and I were talking before we got started. Uh, interestingly, him and I were on opposite uh, sidelines in, in a high school football game. He actually played. I was on the bench, but we were on the <laughs> same field um, in, a, in a rivalry game. And just curious to know my observations as a, a fan of the game and someone that, that writes about the game and, and those pieces. I have my thoughts on Jackie Robinson Day, which we just shared, and, and wanted to know what's it like for him? What's it like for you know a black baseball player and now retired player and, 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 and someone that's looking to build a, a second career in the front office? And we really had good conversations on, on you know the, the first time that I asked one of the things I asked him was, do you remember the first time you saw a, a black executive or a black person in, in the front office? And instantly did. And, and he remembers, you know, two names. And because the the sample size and representation matters so much, you know, it's it's no different than conversations that I see on Twitter asking folks like, do you remember your your first black male teacher in school? And so many people can instantly think about who that is, what grade, and all those pieces, because unfortunately, you know, that population for most people. Um, is smaller. And so, you know, him and I just talking through and having those similar experiences growing up in Tampa and just sharing what that looks like. It was, it was really good. And one of the things that I took away was just how, how similar it is. We don't think about pro ball players and, and the way that they look at things and, and the way that, that we, that we deal with uh, them outside of it. But again, just what it meant, what it means to, try to get into the front office and try to understand more, try to learn more about, you know, the business side of the game, because you've seen it from a player. And one of the things he said was he knew that when he came here to play, you know, Tampa being home. And I asked him, like, when did you start thinking about, you know, being in the front office or all these other pieces? And he said, honestly, it was the day he found out he was being traded to Seattle. And, you know, he's on the phone uh, with Eric Neander, race general manager, and says that, you know, he wanted to come back. Now, in, in some capacity, right, whether it's a, as a player in the front office, you know, I'm sure athletes never think that they, the, the, the game's about to, to be done. But, you know, wanting to come back because this is home, 
boom, this is where roots are and all those pieces. So as we talk about breaking barriers on the field, just really excited to see what this could mean for him in a, in a second in a second life in the front office and, and see where it takes him. Definitely. I, I can't read. I can't wait to, to read more about this, this discussion on the site. It sounds like it was a great conversation between the two of you. And I, I think the Rays are really lucky to have a guy like Denard's man back within the organization and in the front office. Um, and Jamal, let's hope the, the Rays go up to Yankee stadium and take care of business. Let's hope it stays at least uh, somewhat clean up there in the Bronx and Let's try to get back in first place in the American League East because the Red Sox are red hot. Absolutely. And Brett, let's get you down to a game eventually. I need to. I, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, the next time I'll have you on, I'll, I'll have been to a game. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Thank you guys for listening. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaysBay.com to check out all of the great Rays coverage, including Jamal's article about his conversation with Denard Span. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I'll talk to you next week.